0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so excited to have Alex Schlinsky with me today. How are you, Alex?
1: I am doing fantastic. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for having me.
0: I'm excited to get this conversation rolling. Let me tell you a little bit about Alex. They call him the Iron Man of Marketing. Which is an insane story. He has sold $15 million worth of products and has worked with over 700 clients in 50 different markets, including some of the world's greatest brands like the Miami Dolphins and the UFC. Alex's results are so astounding and life-changing that one of his clients has even named their child after him. His agency has won multiple awards and is a sought-after expert. He shared the stages with major influencers, including Damon John. So tell us, how did you start your career and how did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the way I started my career was kind of a a strange one, right? I don't want to do the whole, well, when I was seven years old, I actually had, you know, my first lemonade stand and I saw across the street, they were selling with me too. So what I did is I, I upped the price by 10 cents and gave them Arnold Palmer's. That's not going to be the story, although that would be kind of fun. Uh, it actually started kind of by happenstance. Uh, I went to school, um, college at University of Central Florida, to become a licensed clinical psychologist, um, and I spent a, a good amount of time um, thinking that that was going to be the career I'd move into. I didn't really have an entrepreneurial mindset at that time, but because I needed to pay for school, I was able to create some opportunities for myself to make money through a side hustle that would ultimately become my business. And so the backstory to that is in high school. I was really strongly leaning towards becoming an attorney, going to pre-law and then going to law school. My next door neighbor happened to be an attorney. I did an internship with him after my senior year of high school, before I went into college. And I'll never forget the first day going into his car, you know, a small BMW, he's kind of a large guy. His, uh, you know, ashtray was the cup holder. That's the type of person he was to paint the picture. Uh, He, you know, opens up the window, lights up a SIG. It's eight in the morning. We're on the way to the the courthouse. It's my first day. And he says, Alex, why do you want to become an attorney? And I give him the whole spiel that a 17-year-old would say, this is why I want to change the world. And he says, okay, great. My mission over the next 60 days is to make sure 100% you don't become an attorney. (laughs) And he goes on to tell me me how terrible his life is and how awful uh, the job is. And it's the worst thing ever. And he works with horrible people and really was an interesting perspective. I think at that time, I'd never had anyone hit me with life in such a real way before. I think everyone was doing the roses and daisies, painting the picture of what life would be like, uh, which was really interesting to see. So thereafter, he told me about a week after uh, Facebook launched business pages for the first time, this is even before they had ads, and he thought it would become a pretty big thing. He was right. And he asked me if I would be willing to post for him every single day on Facebook. And do constant contact newsletters for him for a thousand dollars a month, which at that time was a significant amount of money for me. Uh, so I started doing that for him. Um, and when I went to college, I asked him if he, you know, went to anyone with law school that he knows locally. He went to University of Florida. Uh, not only did he send me someone in Orlando, he sent me about 20 attorneys across the United States that he's still close with. And out of nowhere, I just had a ten thousand dollar a month business. Again, my, wow. my brain was not focused on specifically entrepreneurship, so I thought it was just this hustle. Thought I was smart. Uh, I wasted all the money though because I was a dumb college kid. But I had that business for four years, only to recognize once I graduated that I completely burnt out on the idea of going back to school to become like get an MBA or go into uh, psych school. I just didn't have the interest in it. So that's when I started learning more about digital marketing and what it would take to build a marketing agency related to personal injury attorneys, which I did, invested in some mentorship and some guidance. Um, and by 2016, I had built a seven figure marketing agency for attorneys, uh, which was incredible. uh, And I was really proud of. And then I immediately started my own mentorship community prospecting on demand to help other agency owners, uh, people that want to build a digital marketing agency grow, which I've been running uh, for the last six, seven years. And it's just been an incredible journey. So that's kind of the quick version of it.
0: Wow, that is an incredible journey. The fact that your first kind of real job, the person was like, okay, I want to make sure you don't do anything like I do. So tell me, what are some of those early lessons that you gleaned from this attorney who gave you your first chance at working? What were some of those lessons that you gleaned from him that really helped you realize, yeah, I don't want to do this?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting, particularly in sales. He was a trial attorney uh, for criminal defense and he also did PI as well, but criminal defense was his main business, which as you can probably imagine is why he wasn't really in love with his job. I had this rose colored glasses view of the world that like, Oh, like Lloyd. His name is Lloyd. Was protecting people who were innocent and fighting for them. But he was saying that that's less than one percent. What he's really doing is helping criminals, right, get out of jail based off some loophole, like the Miranda rights weren't read appropriately, or there was no actual evidence, or something of that mm. nature. And he said that like going through the loopholes of the justice system only made him more, you know, disenfranchised with how it was. But when I watched him in court, and his job essentially is to sell the jury or sell the judge to benefit him and his client, he was just a master of his craft, a master of framing, a master of conviction, a master of belief, a master of sales psychology. And I learned so much from him about this, because it really helped make me understand what it would take, not only to sell other attorneys, but just to sell in general. Sales is not just a you know a financial win at all times. There's a lot of selling that has nothing to do with finances, right? It's like selling your dad when you're younger to go with that boy that you like, or selling your you no know, the parents of your loved one to let them marry you, or whatever it may be. There's so many other elements related to sales that is in some way convincing another person that your methodology, your idea is the right way. Learning that from him was immensely valuable, and it was never directly was here's how you sell and how you make money. It was actually gleaning the insights just from watching him do the work consistently. And he was, he was incredible at it as much as he didn't like it. uh, He was pretty substantially, uh, you know, impressive. The other thing that I learned from him that was really valuable is understanding purpose and intention behind what you want to do. He became an attorney uh, because he wanted to make money. He didn't actually care Mm. about making a difference or a change in the world. Didn't mean he was a bad person, but that was his intention. He wanted to make money. But he he recognized thereafter, you know, 10 years down the line, he could have made money in many different ways and not to be pigeonholed because someone told you to do it. And what he was calling me out on was that I was living my life based off of what my parents or what the school system told you you should do. And it really opened up my eyes to instead of going that route, become potentially an entrepreneur and build something for yourself, which is really what I was best at. Those are some of the main early lessons that I got from him that were really, really beneficial to my success long term. I really miss him. He unfortunately passed away uh, from cancer almost 10 years ago now, which is crazy. An incredible human being, but really set me on a path to success, Um, not even from lessons that were direct, but lessons, like you said, that I gleaned from just watching him. And I thought that was really impressive and powerful.
0: Wow. The value of having a good mentor, especially early in life when you're coming up and you really don't know what's happening, what to do. Should I do this? Should I do this? I want to go to college. I don't want to go to college. What should I major in? But really having somebody to take you under their wing and say, so let me tell you what real life is like. Okay. Let me tell you what it's like out there in the real world. And then you said something that is so very important that so many people don't think about often. And it's that Everything that we're doing, negotiating, convincing, we are selling. So people give salespeople a bad rap. But like, literally, when I am trying to get my eight-year-old to do homework, I'm selling him the idea that this is a very good thing to do, right? When, like you said, when you're asking somebody's parents for their hand in marriage, you are convincing them, you are asking them, you're using your power of oration to really get them on your side of the aisle
1: yeah absolutely and, and i learned from him very early on the value of having a very strong hold of sales psychology how human beings make decisions understanding what really impacts decision making and so when i went to school and when i started learning more about psychology i could already tell that my brain was so focused on everything that i could take away from these classes were based off of what can i glean for convincing people to work with me moving forward even though i still didn't have the entrepreneurial mindset it was the convincing myself that this was the right fit convincing like the people that I'd wanna work with to do clinical psychology work with me, even before I was going to become a clinical psychologist, which I ended up not doing. It's so interesting to see now, you know, years later now, I've spoken at Harvard, Columbia, events with five, 600, 700 people, teaching sales psychology, things that I learned in college or in high school and things that I've read up on since about how like implicit and explicit decision making is done and, and how human beings like love procrastination. So having urgency on calls, all of these things have really started from Lloyd uh, kind of showing me the ropes on what sales really is without even explicitly telling me this is how sales work. And I find that to be such a unique thing and hopefully something everyone else can glean from is you can learn so much from the people that you are with all the time that are great at convincing. I'll use a kind of a common trope here. So I'm I'm a Jew. My mom is kind of the classic Jewish mom. She gets what she wants. She's always been that way when I was younger, like, but doing it with kindness and respect and appreciation. There's this new like mantra of the Karens, right? Like, I want to talk to your manager. And when, when I tell people that, you know, my mom would get what she wants, I think some people are like, was your mom a Karen? It was like, it's the exact <laughs> opposite. You can be the exact opposite of that person and get everything you want by being very polite, and by being very kind, and by really understanding what people want to hear, which is, hey, I appreciate the effort, and this is what you were trying to do, but this is what I expected, and this is the discrepancy between expectation and reality, and I really feel like this is a more fair result. Can we make that happen? The idea is the squeaky wheel is, is what gets oiled, and I think people now are afraid to be the squeaky wheel. They're afraid to step up because they're gonna be labeled as a Karen. You're labeled as a Karen when you're an asshole. Excuse my French. That's the <laughs> reality. That's when you're labeled as a Karen. You don't have to be like that. You can be a really kind person and a caring person and understanding that the other person on the end is trying to do their best. And that's when human beings are willing to negotiate with you and give you the result that you're looking for. And I've learned so much from that.
0: Mm, The power of good parents. And I love what you said. You don't have to be pushy, right? To get what you want. You don't have to be so forward and so out there and just like cut and dry, black and white. You can be kind you can have empathy, you can use nice words. Because the power of influence is really based on that power of persuasion, right? So how can I influence this decision? And how can I persuade that person to do what I need them to do? Literally circling all the way back to sales. So in college, you majored in psychology, and it seems like you gleaned a lot of good knowledge. A lot of people call me the the sales therapist, and they're like, you should be a therapist. And I'm like, You know, when I was in college, I was like, psychology is not really my thing. I'm a chemist, you know, I need numbers, (laughs) but we use it so much every day. So as a person who actually studies psychology, and so you really understand the art, the science of it, how has that influenced and impacted the way that you approach sales?
1: It's everything. I mean, my main core tenant of coaching is what I call the one call close. And the training behind it is the psychology secrets behind the one call close, I'll give you kind of a taste right now that I think is super valuable because everyone in the audience that will listen to this podcast will know who the person I'm talking about is. Everyone basically that has ever been to any high school class ever for psychology knows who Sigmund Freud is, right? The reason why people know it is because of some outlandish things that he believed in related to like your mother envy, penis envy, this kind of stuff, some really weird out there psychoanalyst things. But what most people don't know is that there is actually a huge entire breadth of knowledge for psychoanalysis that has nothing to do with Sigmund Freud. One of the other famous psychoanalysts was Eric Byrne. And in 1950, he posited this idea called transactional analysis. And when you hear that word transactional analysis, immediately, I think most people's brains are triggered to the idea that this is something related to sales. The insight, though, that Eric was talking about has nothing to do with sales. He was just talking about human communication in general. But when you use it and parlay it into how it can help in sales, there's so much value. Transactional analysis posits that every single person you speak to has three ego states at the same time. And the three ego states that you have to deal with are the parent, the adult, and the child. If you understand this in sales, you are going to master your success in absolutely convincing people to work with you. The parent is a natural skeptic. The adult ideally is a logical thinker and the child doesn't care about logic. They only care about the emotional idea of what they wanted when they were younger before they can logically think through what they're doing, right? And what you have to do is speak to each one of those people, both in your marketing and in your follow-up and of course on the calls itself. And here's how you do that. With parents, if they're naturally skeptical, the easiest way to increase or to decrease skepticism is showcasing proof. A lot of people call this the like, no and trust factor, but it's not just like having a lot of content back, like back end or having proof or anything like that. It's showcasing on a call, your expertise, your knowledge, calling out that you believe that they potentially have skepticism and then breaking that barrier down. The idea of transparency in sales is so missed consistently. Call out that there's potential skepticism Break that barrier by showing them the proof because now what you're doing is forcing them to consciously think of the skepticism they may unconsciously feel. That is really powerful. So that's one. Number two, with the adult, just have a logical framework. People, especially marketers, have a tendency to over-explain. They love explaining features, but most people don't care about that. They only care about the result it's like the plumbing metaphor if your toilet breaks and a plumber comes to your house and they're like okay i could fix it with my hand a snake or a vacuum you're like i don't care i just need it fixed i want it done as fast as possible cost-effective as possible and i don't want it broken again right the methods in which you're delivering a service like let's say you do facebook ads for chiropractors you're like we're gonna do 75 split tests and 30 videos and we're gonna make this you're already overcomplicating it what you want to do is just say we're going to get you 10 new patients a month by running ads on facebook Following up with your leads and holding them accountable through actual follow up automated, right? And here's a logical framework of how we do it: one plus one equals two. Bam, you're done. That is the adult framework of transactional analysis. And then the child is the simplest but most effective method. Most people, when they hear me speak, I ask a question for every single training I do: Who wants to make more money? And obviously, every single person in the audience raises their hand. And I use it as a as an opportunity to see plant that hey, later on, we're going to talk about this. And then I ask them what is enough money most people never define what enough money is because we live in a capitalist environment a hustle environment of more is always necessary which is why there's two common tropes that most people have heard of which is there's always a bigger fish in the sea right and also there's always a bigger mountain to climb if that's the case it's because most people are not defining what more is so if you're settling for more money as the baseline of what your prospects want in sales you're missing the childlike dream When they started the business, it wasn't just to make more money. There was some baseline reasoning. One of the easiest ways to do this would be, let's use a doctor as an example. If a dentist has been working in his practice for 10 years, seeing thousands of patients, and he gets on a call with you to see more patients to make more money, and you ask him why, and he's like, just because, try this one on. Hey, is it potentially possible that you'd like to hire another dentist So you don't have to see everyone. And thus, if we get you more potential patients, you'll have enough money to hire that person so you can grow the business without you doing all the work yourself. What you've just done is unlocked a childlike opportunity for them. They probably have not considered for years. And now what you've done is overcome parent, adult, child, transactional analysis, a 1950s psychoanalytic theory, psychology theory that'll help you close more deals. And, And that's just like one little piece of the trainings that I do related to psychology because Look, psychology is absolutely critical to understanding how people make decisions, and decision making is how people actually pay you on sales calls, and that's ultimately the key of this.
0: Wow, that right there—that was a whole masterclass in really understanding. And you said it's just a small little piece, but for most people, they don't think about sales, selling, prospecting that way, right? They're not thinking about one. They don't really think about the prospect, the buyer, the person on the other end of the line. They're just thinking about themselves, but. As you said, if somebody is once taking the removing themselves from the situation and fully immersing themselves in the prospect's shoes and thinking about those three separate ego states that they're going through, you explained it very succinctly and differently. But people go through those ego states like within 30 seconds, like it's just like all in, all in, right? And so it's like you have to capture them and you have to really get them so that you're able to convince them, hit that, and book a meeting. Or have a discovery call or close a deal. Whatever you're trying to do within the sales cycle.
1: Absolutely agree. The PAC model, the parent, adult, child, or transactional analysis, it's not just for like individual sales calls, it's for marketing, it's for copywriting, it's for emails, it's for prospecting, it's for any communication at all. It's for dating. Not that I know anything about dating. I met my wife in high school, but you get the point, right? Like this model, again, Eric Byrne in 1950 wasn't like, I'm gonna make this for salespeople. It was how to communicate with human beings. And these are the three ego states that human beings are considering unconsciously and consciously during conversation. And that that's why like just psychology is so important. I try to touch on like multiple different core tenets of psychology principles during every single call and training that I do for sales. I love talking sales psychology. It's super fun.
0: Awesome. So how do you use these tenets of psychology to help you be a strong leader?
1: Oh, well, that's really important to me. I mean, I lead a, a lot of men and women, you know, most importantly, I, I lead my son, I have a two year old, that's definitely the most important thing to me in the entire planet. So I want to be a great man, a great father, a great husband, that's for sure the most important in terms of psychology there. I'm, I'm trying to learn developmental psychology to understand how to be a better dad. It's really hard. There's no handbook for it. Um, and uh, I'm the youngest of three brothers, so I've never really had anyone in my life. This little before. So it's it's pretty interesting, but it's great in terms of my companies. You know, I work with about 50 people in my company prospecting on demand and then have 13 people on my team. And then in my agency, it's about like another 45 people. So we're talking over a hundred people that like are led by me. I take this really seriously. The biggest thing in psychology that I've learned related to like leading outside of sales and in sales as well, it's just empathy. Understanding that we don't know the cards that someone else has dealt and thinking that. Like everything revolves around you. It's a really tough one. I have a really good anecdote on this that I'll do really quickly. Uh, when I was younger, I already referenced that I was a Jew earlier. So the importance of this is you know, most Jews are not the most athletic people, uh, just being honest here. Uh, so when I was younger, I played Little League Baseball in my community. And I remember I was the closer of um, one of the games and we lost. I remember losing the game. And usually after the game, we do like hot dogs and snow cones, but I just wanted to go home right away get home. I'm crying in my room. My dad comes in. He was at the game with me. He's like, why are you crying? And I'm like, you know why I'm crying. And then I was doing that angry cry, you know, that kids do. And he was like, okay, let me ask you something like you expected to win, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. That's why I'm upset. He's like, okay, well, what did you think the batter thought? And it blew my mind because I think I was probably 10 or 11 at that time. Your brain at that moment, you never think about what someone else is thinking. You're only thinking about you. But the reality is both the batter and myself, right? Had the same intention. Batter wanted to win. Pitcher wanted to win. There's only one outcome that can happen that will be beneficial for the other person. I could strike the batter out, or the batter can get a hit and win the game. And in that scenario, that's what happened. Then my dad said, Okay, well, now that you understand that scenario, did you try your best? I said, Of course, I always try my best. He said, Well, then you have nothing to be ashamed of. And what I've found and learned from this over time is that the reality is, So often as adults, we forget the cards that someone else has dealt with and we don't empathize Mm -hmm. enough. And then when like some a prospect doesn't like reach back out to you or follow up with you, you think they ghosted you on purpose, like purposely, like I want to spite this guy. It's usually not that scenario. It's just there's lots of things going on in their life, and maybe having a little bit of empathy and understanding would really help. And if you try your best. Ultimately, that's the only thing you can do. You can't do better than your best. There's no magical Harry Potter trick of sales psychology that gets someone to throw their credit card details at you. It's just trying your best. Did you do your best? If you did, great. And if you didn't, that's what you should feel not ashamed about, but something that you can work towards and getting better at. Those are like the core elements of like success, life success and leadership uh, that go way beyond like just making more money. That's really important to me.
0: So share with us a an employee that you struggled with leading Let's say maybe they were on the, the fritz and you have a, a good story to share with us on the, the flip side. So somebody who you may have been about to give up on or may have been not the right fit for the organization, sure. but you were able to bring them back on board.
1: Yeah, it's such a good question. So someone in our coaching program, in our mentorship program, uh, who's a coach for us, he's an incredible coach, provides unbelievable results for our clients. But he was dealing with some really tough personal things that uh, ultimately like I'd never dealt with before. Um, on top of that, he's 10 years older than me. So automatically and inherently, there's this underlying, like, who really is the boss type situation. And, and I'm also kind of, of the attitude, like, I don't like, I don't want to be called the boss. I don't like that energy. I want to have like this family environment. It's a little bit strange ultimately, but that's kind of how I want to do it. I spoke to multiple people about this, I spoke to my coach about it, my wife, our team, and, and a lot of people were under the impression of kind of like, hey, ship has sailed, move on, move past it. And I, I felt like that was a pretty hasty thing to do rather than just trying to understand the circumstances that they were dealt with. And so I had a conversation with this person about what was going on and the circumstances they were dealing with were terrible, tragic in many ways, and things that are way outside of my control. And so as just a human being, as a friend outside of business, I was just trying to explain like, whatever I can do to support, we can, but you need to seek out support outside of just carrying this weight all on your own. And this person told me that They've actually had these issues, the entirety of us working together, just right now, they're so challenging that he's not hiding them as well as he did prior. And I said, the idea is not trying to hide these things from us. It's trying to get a solution to, Mm -hmm. you know, getting any amicable resolution possible. And so he understood the stakes of what I was talking about go much deeper than how do we make sure that you get a paycheck and deliver the results. It's, this is your life we're talking about, and you need to have satisfaction in it in some way. And so he sought out that help. And then over the next about six weeks, uh, he was able to really get back to what he was at that really high level uh, being less kind of uh, chippy, mad, frustrated, rude to clients. He started getting back to the level of care and help and desire and proactivity. And I remember asking him about it, like, man, it seems like he turned everything around. What's happened? And he said, you know, I've gotten some help but I'm just learning to cope with it more. Meaning like at the end of the day, we cannot control what other people do, especially people on our team. We can only try to lead as best we can and provide guidance. But at some point we have to recognize we can't just compartmentalize things as human beings. It's not how it works. Our brains aren't just like perfect little boxes. At the end of the day, what we really need to do is have empathy, care about one another and and make it clear like what has to happen business wise and then what you would like to see personally in order to move forward. And I think that really worked out for us. And I'm really proud of the results so far.
0: That's amazing. It's the line between empathy and sympathy that we have to tell as leaders, right? How can I have empathy to really understand what this person is going through and make sure that we can make an action plan? They're not just sitting in their stuff, right? Versus, oh my gosh, I feel so bad for them and I have to go out of my way and do this and this and bend and then the business suffers and then the team suffers and then I'm suffering because I'm pouring so much into them. And right. so it sounds like you really towed that line of the good balance of empathy and sympathy and trusting your gut because it seems like people around you were like, just cut your losses and just let it go, right? But you're like, no, no, this person, I feel like there's something more there.
1: There's more there. And I haven't been perfect either, by the way. I think there's this mindset in entrepreneurship of hire slow, fire fast. I think I hire slow and fire slow. So I think a lot of times my emotions get the better of me. I'm a very like bleeding heart type person, but I'd rather be that person and make those mistakes than fire hastily. I don't necessarily prescribe to that notion, but I also understand why some people would.
0: Yeah. That is something that I I tell people a lot, hire slow, fire fast. However, we only do it when we have given people hundred percent of what they need to succeed. Right. Absolutely. And so before when I'm working with somebody and they're like, yeah, this person, I want to put them on a pit, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, have you given them hundred percent of what they need to succeed? And 100% of the time people say, no, I have not. <laughs> so that means that you can't just scapegoat because you failed as a leader to give the person Absolutely. what they needed and they're trying to figure it out, and you're not giving them what they need. So the onus falls on us as leaders to really make sure we're giving people everything that they need to succeed. And then if we do that, and they're still not meeting the demands, then that's when it's time to let them go. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your organization and what you do to help companies.
1: Yeah, so Prospecting on Demand is a white glove mentorship program. Small But Mighty is kind of one of our main lines. We are a purposefully boutique uh, marketing program and mentorship community. I think uh, our goal is to be unique in the space of helping entrepreneurs build a business that better facilitates their life versus just the hustle mindset of grow more, grow more, grow more. There's this extremely disturbing trope in the industry today that says if you're not growing, you're dying. Um, there's one thing that some people may not know about me. You noted earlier that I was the Iron Man of marketing. The reason behind that is because I had open heart surgery in October of 2020, when my wife was five months pregnant. And uh, my dad was a funeral director for 20 years when I was younger. He, he's not any longer, but when I was younger, he was a funeral director. When I was younger, he used to tell me all the time that no one wants to be the richest man in the graveyard. And that success is not defined by how much money you make, but about the relationships you have and your satisfaction and fulfillment in life. And yet it seems like the only KPI that matters to most entrepreneurs is more money. Not to find more money, just more money. And so when you get more money, what does everyone inherently want? More money. It never ends. And so people always feel like they're at arm's reach of success, that they have never actually achieved anything, that they're not good enough. I don't know where this came to light, that this is like the main mantra, but it feels like this is at least the 90-10. Like 90% of the information out there is do more, do more, do more, do more, don't be complacent. And 10% might be like, hey, like, why are we not just going for the happiness quotient, for fulfillment and satisfaction? Before my surgery, I really bought into the idea of like hustle culture. You know, I loved like uh, David Goggins, just like straight up yelling at me to do more and be better. Gary Vaynerchuk saying, if you don't have a hot side hustle, you're a failure. Grant Cardone, 10x everything. I was into that. But ultimately, it caused a lot of stress and anxiety, made me feel never good enough. Made me Mm -hmm. feel like there's no such thing as relaxation. You can't relax because you got to build more and do more. And then you know my life was almost ripped away from me at 30 you know like most people don't expect that i didn't expect that um to be worse you know being ripped away from the thing i wanted more than anything which was being a dad you know my son was born 117 days after my heart surgery um i don't take light of that so to me the the idea behind our community and prospecting on demand is not forcing someone to do more It's forcing someone to define what they actually want, which is a big fear for a lot of people. Most people don't define what they actually want due to two reasons. One, they don't know what they actually want. And then two, they fear that they'll define what they want and never be able to achieve it. My rebuttal to both of those things is, okay, you might not know what you want right now, but if you journal on what's the thing that made you happy recently, make that your KPI, work towards that, you might identify some level of satisfaction, and then you optimize it throughout. It's like saying, again, as a 16-year-old, you're supposed to know what you want to do for the rest of your life, or at a 30, 40, or 50-year-old to say you know exactly what will make you satisfied or happy forever. It's a constant optimization, but it starts with some sort of definition. Otherwise, it's just an intangible, ethereal more. And that's never going to work for people, especially people like myself that I just, you know, deal with anxiety and stress. And I I don't want that for people. The second piece would be the idea of, you know, not defining it because they're afraid they're never going to hit it. What I've found so often is that people will shoot for the stars, land on the moon metaphorically, and they're so happy with the moon, right? It's like, oh, if I don't make a hundred thousand dollars a month, I'm a complete failure. They get to $50,000 a month halfway. And they're like, I'm so fulfilled. Everything is great. It's like, oh, Okay. Well, that's a great thing. That's a wonderful thing. That doesn't mean you failed. That's what we're about. So we have a purposefully boutique mentorship community where we do white glove mentorship on the why behind what people's goals are and working towards the happiness quotient, satisfaction, fulfillment. So we don't ever allow anyone in our community to have a goal without purpose behind it. Otherwise it becomes a worthless goal. And it's just, you know, continuing the trope of more, 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 more. I'm not that type of person. I don't want to be that type of person. We are a business over client success, over client acquisition, because we cannot provide the quality of support if there's 200 people in our program. And what I have found in the mentorship space, particularly for entrepreneurs, coaches, consultants, digital marketers, the average business is built to scale versus built to support. And that doesn't make any sense to me. We're here to build to support. That means there is a cap on the finances that we can create for myself. But that's the whole point of this because I don't need unlimited finances. I need fulfillment and enjoyment and satisfaction and relationships and things that I need for myself to feel like I'm doing something of worth. And that's what we do at Prospecting
0: on Demand. Wow. I definitely did not expect that. Wow. You're leaving me speechless. And anyone who knows Wesleyan, that is not something that I am very often, but all of the the core mission and values and vision that you have behind your company, those are all things that are really near and dear to my heart. When I'm working with sales teams, we we start with goal setting, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, you can make money. Yeah, we can all make money, but what is the money going to be used for? Like, what is the why? What is your ultimate reason for coming out here and spending nights away from your family and doing all of this hard work? Like, why are you doing this? And so to hear that you are impacting entrepreneurs in that way, like you said, coaches and consultants, because people, you know, when you start your business, you hang a shingle and you're like, yep, I like doing this. I want to do more. Oh, now I want to make more money. Make six figures. Now I want to make seven figures. Now I want to make eight figures. And it's like, like you said, there is a ceiling. And what happens as you're getting too big too fast is... The quality of customer service falls off. Your clients that were once raving fans are like, nope, I wouldn't recommend you anymore. So the fact that you have that community and you have mentors and coaches and people that are impacting people that way, kudos to you. That is amazing, amazing, amazing. Appreciate that.
1: I would lastly say to people that have uh, clients that are providing, like that you're providing value to and impact to, just don't lose sight of the value that you help or impact other people's lives. It's sometimes when you have success financially and thank god i've had success financially both myself and for other people you sometimes lose sight of the victories that you're providing for others like when you have your first win right or your first 10 wins for other people where you help someone do something amazing the amount of fulfillment that you get from that is unbridled i would challenge most people that helping someone win is much more impactful than your first win, which is very unique. But then by the 30th, 100th, 500th win, you know we've worked with over a thousand entrepreneurs since 2016 and have had lots of, lots of, lots of success. Sometimes you lose sight of it. Like, oh, it's like expected. I feel like that's a really dangerous game to play because then you lose sight of the purpose of why you were building this in the first place. So what I try to do is anytime someone's explaining to me some sort of victory or win that they've had based off coaching that we've provided in our mentorship program or community, I want to just take at least a 10 second consideration of like, wow, that's awesome. That is an impactful thing. Doesn't matter if I made money from it or not. It's just a good thing we made a difference for someone, and that's ultimately what I strive to start doing. Which is easy to say because at the end of the day, what everyone really wants is, is like I said, more money. But it has to be more than that. Can't just be more money because that's a never-ending goal. It's just a marathon that you can never finish.
0: Mm, that's true. You always be trying to get more. There's always more money, more money, more money, and what they say, more money, more problems. I mean, yeah, exactly. but it's when you get to that point in your life and your career and you're like, I have the money that I need to be comfortable, to do the things that I enjoy doing. And then I have enough to give back, to, you know, share with others to impact the world. To me, that is the that's when you're at peace. That's when you're okay. like, I'm going to work, I'm doing what I need to do each and every day. And not only am I impacting my life, the future generations within my spectrum and sphere, I'm impacting people that I don't even know. I'm Absolutely. able to share my abundance with others out there in the world.
1: Love that. I love that. That's my mission. My mission statement is to live a life of tranquility. That's what I want. Live a life of tranquility. And the only way that happens is by defining what that would be mean to me. Otherwise, it's an ethereal version of success that can't be achieved. Because as someone that deals with anxiety and stress, I think most people that have dealt with it before, they believe that the correlation is the more money you make, the anxiety goes down. It's always the opposite. The more money you make, the more lives you're impacting, the more people that you're working with, the bigger that the business becomes the more stress and anxiety you have. So what's needed is a very, very clear definition. And it takes time and it takes work. And if you're allowing someone else to define that for you, whether it's podcast you're listening to, the pastor that you go to every Sunday, your parents, your friends, your mentors, you're letting yourself down. Because the only person that can truly define what success or happiness is, is you. And it will take effort and it will take time. And you may not know what it is right away. And you might put a goal there and hit it and still not feel satisfied. That doesn't mean you failed. It just means it needs to be optimized over and over. And you have hopefully plenty of time to do it, but it's a necessary thing. If there's anything that I could help someone with more than any sales coaching whatsoever, it is this, defining success so that you can actually build a life of your satisfaction, not some predetermined life that someone else told you should live. That is not the appropriate way, in my opinion, to build happiness or satisfaction.
0: Wow, and I think on that That should be our final word because that wrapped everything up and you really summed it up. Your happiness, your joy, your life satisfaction. It's not about others. It's not about what other people have told you success is or how it is. It's about you. How do you define success? What is happiness for you? So Alex, what is the one best way that people can get in contact with you?
1: prospectingondemand.com. Probably the easiest thing to do. It's my website. It's easy to remember prospectingondemand.com. My last name is kind of unique. So trying to find me on socials by all means, feel free to do so. Um, But uh, you know, I'm on every social platform, obviously, but my website has all the links for you. So prospectingondemand.com easiest place to go.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alex. You have shared your time, your talent, your expertise with us. And I am so, so, so very grateful. Thank you so much. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. In all that you do every day, make sure that you transform your sales. Until next time.